Well, I want to welcome everyone this morning, all of those men and women at uh, the Orleans Justice Center, St. Tammany Jail, the, those of you joining us online, Facebook Live, all the campuses and right here at the Little Creek campus uh, to the final week of our If Only series. Can we just put our hands together and show a little love for the family right now? Yeah. Amen. Hey, hadn't, that, hadn't this been a great series? Have you guys enjoyed this? Hadn't it been fantastic? You know, I, I keep hearing stories about the small groups. I've never seen as many posts on social media from people's daily devotions. Have, has the devotional just been amazing? The daily readings and stuff, and it been fantastic. And then finally, and I know they're not here, but I just feel so, so I wanna just honor Pastor Steve and Jennifer, our pastors, leadership, just the consistency, messages week after week, leadership, vision, the teaching that's so practical that we can take. Can we just take a minute right now and just love them, honor them, all the campuses, come on. We love our pastors, amen. Hey, I'm so excited to be with you guys and honored really uh, this week as I share a few thoughts that I, I really out of the conversation that I've had with the Lord over the last several years in my own life uh, and, and really what God has been bringing me through in terms of learning to live in his nearness. And that's what I wanna share with you today uh, in, in, the, in a message entitled Living in the Nearness of God. And really when we talk about nearness, what we're not talking about is the theological characteristic of God that, that is his omnipresence. We know that God is everywhere all the time, right? And that everybody would say that, yes, they mentally assent to that, that God is at all places at all the time. But what I'm talking about is the in, in, in abiding presence, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that happens when we're born again. Speaking of nearness, I heard this story uh, years ago, but it always, I always think about it when, when I think about this topic because it's, it's so pertinent. I, there was an, uh, an older couple driving down the road one day and they pulled up to a stoplight and, uh, and next to them at the stoplight, the wife looked over and noticed a young couple in a muscle car. And you guys remember, you know, muscle cars, most, a lot of them had bench seats. Remember bench seats? Anybody, front bench seat, right? Vinyl, you just slide across the whole thing. And yeah, it was awesome, exciting. Well, the young man was, had one hand on the steering wheel and had his other hand uh, up on the seat back and his girlfriend or the woman that was with him was, was up close and she was snuggled right in there and they were just happy as they could be in their muscle car. And the, and the wife looked over and noticed them and said, isn't that sweet? She said, remember when we used to ride like that in the car? And the husband glanced over and then he looked back at his wife and he said, I haven't moved. Isn't that funny? You know, relationships can be like that. If we're not intentional and very specific in our relationships, we can drift, right? It happens, especially in our relationship with God. And, and I think that this, this idea of God's nearness, even though we would mentally assent to the fact that we know that God is near us, that it doesn't quite work itself out most of the time in how we live our lives. And uh, the, the Bible describes, in fact, you've heard Pastor Steve teach many times on this, this aspect of the tripart nature of humanity that we are created in the image of God. We are a spirit, a spirit primarily, a spirit that will live forever, exist forever. We, we have a soul and we live in a body. And, uh, and, and in that makeup that God designed us and created us in, the spirit of our, of our lives, our spirit, the, per, the part of us that's who we really are is designed to connect with God. And when we're born again, the spirit of God, the power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead comes and lives inside of our spirit and breathes life to it. And we come to life spiritually. And that's what enables us to communicate with God, to live with God, to spend eternity with him is that is the life of the spirit of God that comes and, and lives in us. And that, that spirit is, 
in us. It's, in, it's not just near us, he's in us. God packs his bags and moves in to our lives and brings with himself all of the power of heaven uh, to, be, to be in fellowship with us and to walk with us. And when we talk about nearness, when we talk about God's presence, that's really uh, what we're talking about. It, but so often, and if you're like me, just busy, you know, where I, I, I kind of, I'm driven, I'm kind of a wound up person. You know, Pastor Steve calls me the cowboy because I'm always, I'm tired. I have a spiritual gift, that the guys on the lead team will tell you, I have a spiritual gift of finishing the meetings two hours before everybody else. Come on, can you, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm ready to, look, we've talked, I'll, let's do something now, you know? And so, um, yeah, but, but, but in that frenetic pace of life, you can kind of miss that, that still small inward voice of the Holy Spirit that's, that's desiring communion, communication, life, direction, fellowship throughout the day. I don't know about you, but I'll start the day with the Lord and by the time I'm backing out of the driveway, I'm kind of kicked into autopilot and I'm already doing my own thing. Can anybody relate? And, uh, and, and I, you know, again, Pastor Steve, we're just wrapping up a series where for six weeks, Pastor Steve has addressed many of the per- reasons why we don't uh, connect with God, why we may miss that fellowship with the Holy Spirit, regrets from our past, pride, selfishness, unforgiveness, and all of those things. Uh, but I think for most of us, it really comes down to busyness. In fact, you know, we've, the pace of many of our lives has gotten to the place where we determine our dietary uh, life, our dietary decisions by whatever cooks the fastest in the microwave in the frozen food section at Trader Joe's. Come on, you with me? But, but the fact is, is that Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter six about our lives, the way that we should live our lives in, in, in proximity to God, he says this. He said, did you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? And so he's directing and he's instructing us that as, as we come into a relationship with God, that there, it begins when we're born again, it begins or initiates a conversation with heaven, a conversation that takes place in the realm of our spirit and, and into our consciousness that should, should become clearer and clearer and that the light and the glory of heaven should become brighter and more evident in our lives as we grow in our relationship with Christ. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that amazing? And, and so as we talk about this today, that, that is our goal. I, I love how Proverbs describes this, this process in our lives. In the fourth chapter of Proverbs, one of my favorite passages in scripture says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day has come. In other words, we're, we should be moving from glory to glory and from faith to faith and from strength to strength that there should be an up and to the right pattern in terms of how our life is reflected in terms of God's presence and in, in, in the glory of God being revealed and reflected uh, through our lives. And so today I wanna take a few minutes to talk with you about this process, about the, this, this idea of moving past the frenetic pace, the drivenness of our lives into a, a, an increasingly clear conversation with heaven as we grow in our relationship with him. I, I love to hunt. I've grown up in the outdoors, fishing and hunting my whole life. I've probably seen over a thousand sunrises. How many of you have ever been outside when it's dark in the morning and, and had, the, had the glorious privilege of watching the sun come up and the sky become clear? Anybody ever seen that? It's amazing to me. I still, after literally thousands of times, ha- I take pictures of sunrises. They're so, in fact, somebody sent me a sunrise this morning, a picture of a sunrise this morning, because there's something so almost miraculous about the new day 
Isn't that, isn't that right? And one of the aspects of that, one of the characteristics of that sunrise is as the sun rises into the sky, everything around you becomes clearer. You ever feel like your life is not getting clearer? God didn't design it that way. And today I wanna to talk about a, a story from the, from the gospels, one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. In fact, my favorite disciple probably, Peter. How many of you guys love Peter? Peter is living proof that God can do anything with anybody, amen? And, uh, and as, much, as often as I feel like I may be disqualified, I just go read about Peter and I feel better. Uh, Peter was such an impulsive, uh, driven kind of person. And there's a story uh, that's related in three of the four gospels. I wanna pick the one from uh, Mark to read today. And it's the story of the transfiguration. If you've never read it, hopefully you'll go back and look at it a little deeper after today. But this is such a great story. It's a great picture of how God broke into Peter's world to help him understand this concept of living in God's nearness, living, walking, experiencing life from the perspective of the nearness of God. So I wanna jump into uh, chapter nine of Mark, beginning in verse two, the Bible says, six days later, Jesus took him, took with him Peter, James, and John, and he brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launder on earth could whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Now pause for a moment. This is amazing. You know, you think about this. Right, let me just set a little context for you. This is in the spring of the year leading up to the Passover. They were, this was towards the ends of Jesus's ministry. And, and actually what was happening was they went up to, the, to Mount Hermon, which is the highest point in Israel, at this time of the year, it would still have been snow capped. There would still be snow uh, on the top of the mountain. And, and if you can imagine the brilliance, the radiance of the glory of heaven being revealed as Jesus was transfigured into his glorified state, his divine state, and, G and, and as he did, that glory was reflecting from the snow in a, in a blinding light. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being there and experiencing that thing, I mean, you, the disciples must have just, Peter, James, and John just had their jaws just dropped as they watched Jesus transform in front of them and the, the, the glory of God be revealed in such a way that it was blinding and brilliant and amazing. But if that wasn't enough, two guys that were dead for a thousand or more years appeared. And so they're having this little conference call from heaven right there in front of Peter, James, and John. And, and Peter freaked out. He did what any sensible person who didn't know what to do in a moment like that, he just started talking. Let's see what he says. He says, and Peter, so they were talking to Jesus, verse five, the Bible says, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. In other words, you know, Peter is so profound. He just breaks into, their, into the conversation. Now, Jesus is talking. There's a conversation going on between Jesus, Peter, and Eli I mean, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, and so Peter just interrupts them. Have you ever been around, have you ever been in a meeting or in a place where somebody really important or a celebrity or somebody of very high stature was there and you just kept your mouth shut because you didn't, you didn't want to come across dumb? Ever been there? You know, my mom used to say, it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. But Peter just went for it, you know, he's like, and, and the words were so profound. He goes, Jesus, this is good. Thanks. He says, this is good. And then he says, 
let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't want to leave anybody out. And he says, for, for he, and this is the best part, verse six. He says, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. <laughs> he didn't know what to say, so he just started talking. Don't laugh, we've all been there. And, uh, and, and, and then what happened was, this is interesting, then a cloud forms overshadowing them and a voice came from the heavens and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. In other words, God the Father speaks through the tension and says, Peter, this is Jesus. He's talking, you should listen. <laughs> and then it goes on to describe that all at once, they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus. Now, again, in this scene, and they, you know, we're, we can have some fun kind of imagining what it would have been like for them, but, but, but what was amazing in this passage is that Peter panicked because he, was, he realized he was in a moment. He said, hey, this is good. He realized he was in a moment, and he panicked because he was afraid of losing it. So he starts talking about building a tabernacle. Now I'm gonna talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but a tabernacle basically was a little booth that was built as a place to go meet with God. And, and what Peter was trying to do was capture the moment. But he almost missed the point because he was trying to capture a moment which was now in the past. And when God spoke to him from that cloud, he said, listen, before you run off and try to build a booth and capture this moment, remember, Jesus is with you and he's not just with you now, he's going to be with you in the next moment and the one after that. So I wanna take a few minutes just to dissect this story and talk about three keys, three important facets of learning to live in the nearness of God. And here's the first one, and I wanna mention this, and, and, and you're gonna, when I say this, you're gonna go, well, that's duh, that's obvious, but I truly believe this is the most difficult part the most comp biggest challenge that we face in trying to cultivate it, the nearness and live, experience the nearness of God in our lives. And the first thing we have to do is acknowledge his nearness. We have to acknowledge that God is here, that he's with us. And again, I, I believe this is the greatest challenge that we face. And the reason is because we have so many preconceived notions, buckets of reasons throughout our lives that tell us that God is not near. We're fighting against a lifetime of feeling that God is distant and far away from us, and that he's not near. But, but God says to him in verse seven, when, when, when the father spoke from the cloud, he said to Peter, this is my beloved son, he's here. Listen, he, God was not identifying Jesus as the son of God, they already knew that. He was saying, he's here with you right now. He was identifying Jesus's nearness, not his personhood. Are you tracking with me? He was saying, my son is with you. He's with you right now, pay attention. And this was new because in the old covenant, they built tabernacles so that they would have a place to come and meet with God and then they would go away and God would stay there. But, G but God was explaining to Peter that in this new expression of my covenant with you, I'm not just going to be here with you periodically when, when you come to meet with me, I'm gonna be with you all the time. I'm here with you on this mountaintop right now, but I'm going down with you afterwards. And you're not gonna have to build a tabernacle or devise some religious system to try to find me because I'm here with you all the time. And this, this concept and this, percept, this, this precept of the, of the character of God that says he is near to us, not just omnipresent, but indwelling and with us was so important to God that in the Old Testament, he actually named himself the God who is near, Jehovah Shammah. 
This, this name for God appears many times in the Old Testament, but my favorite one happens to be in the book of Zephaniah, the prophet, in chapter three. This is what he said. Now, this is so powerful. If we can get our brains around this, if we can get our hearts wrapped around this concept of God's nearness, of just to be able to acknowledge and live in it, it'll change your life. The, the Bible says, God says about himself, the Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who saves. And watch this, he'll rejoice over you with joy and he will be quiet in his love, making no mention of your past sins. This is the Old Testament. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Now, why this is so important is because at the moment in history, Israel was not doing good. In fact, they were doing quite bad, quite poorly. They had, they had defiled the temple. They had brought in pagan worship and idol worship. They had split as a nation and God was about to send them into exile in order to get their attention and draw them back into his, his covenant of love with them. And he spoke these defining words into their, into their midst as he, as he is, is unpacking all of the things that they've done wrong. And he says, listen, I love you. I'm not even concerned about those things. He says, I'm rejoicing over you with, your, with joy and I'm not even mentioning your past sins. Because God is, God is concerned with us understanding that he's near us, that, he is, that he's with us even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't un understand it, even when we don't, grasp it or believe it. And here, one of the problems in, that we face in, in living in God's nearness is that we think of God's nearness in terms of our deservedness. In other words, if we have a good day and things are going pretty well, then God is near. But when we're not doing well, he's distant and disappointed and far from us and he's separated himself from us because of his disappointment and frustration with us. I grew up, I don't know about you, but I grew up with the picture, a mental picture of a frustrated God who was constantly disappointed with me because I couldn't get it right. Can anybody relate to that? But that's not how the Bible describes our God. That, that, that God was saying, I'm near to you even in your sin and your brokenness. And often we come to that conclusion because we've had fathers or father figures or authorities in our life who have, who have disciplined and, and punished us by distancing themselves from us and expressing their disappointment and their constant frustration with us instead of correcting lovingly, but then coming and reinstituting the love and the relationship with us, the connection that he desires with us that God desires with us. And so as we, as we formulate this idea, we process through this idea of God being near, it's much safer for us emotionally to maintain God at a distance because we know we're gonna screw up, because we know we're gonna blow it. But the fact is, is that God's love can't be taken away from us, that we can't be jerked out of the love of God, the arms of God. I love how Paul describes this in Romans eight, when he says, for I'm convinced that neither death or life Angels or principalities, things present, things to come, power, no height, no depth, no, not any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen? Isn't that powerful? And the fact is, is that nothing, not even ourselves, can jerk us out of God's hands. I remember uh, years ago, one of my sons was little, I think he was about six, and uh, you ever, have you ever been in, in a situation where you felt like somebody was watching you and you, it was just creepy and you just felt somebody's watching me 
I woke up in the middle of the night, maybe three or four, two or three, four o'clock in the morning. I woke up and I had that sense that somebody was watching me. And I, don't, I sleep on the edge of the bed. Like I can sleep on the seam. And um, I sleep on the edge of the bed and I was asleep and I ha- woke up and my mind was coming to consciousness and I had that sense that someone was watching me. And I opened my eyes and my son's face was this close. <laughs> like our nose were almost touching. And, and, and as I kind of regained, he said, he said, Daddy, I just wanted to see you. Of course, he just, you know, he had probably had a bad dream or something. And, and of course, I just grabbed him and I pulled him up into the bed with me and we fell back to sleep. But here, this is, this is the thing. This is what I want you to connect with, okay? In that moment, when he woke up and realized he needed his dad, he didn't go back through the day and go, wait a minute, was I good today? Did I set the house on fire? Did I hurt my brother and sister? Did I do something crazy? No, he just went, I need my dad, he's here. And the Bible says, amen. And the Bible says that we have that confidence as sons and daughters of God that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. That we can come before our daddy God in heaven and say, I need you. I know I blew it. I know how much I need you. And listen, the, the fact is, is that we don't have most of the time, a, 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 a nearness problem or, or a proximity problem, we really have an awareness problem because God is there all the time, all the time. And that's what God was saying to Peter in this moment. Peter, hey, he's here, calm down. And I would say that to you today. Listen, you, you may need to flip the script. You know, you may have seen God as, 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 you're pursuing him and you just can't quite connect with him, but the fact is, is he's pursuing you, he always has. And he's near, sometimes in spite of you. I have this thought that, that occurs to me pretty often as in my time with the Lord. I wake up in the morning and I get up early. I like to get up before it's light out. Um, I like to get up and, and spend time with the Lord before there's a lot of busyness and distractions and stuff in my house. And um, and I often have this imagination, this thought that when I, as I'm beginning to stir in the morning into consciousness, I just get this image of the Holy Spirit sitting on the chair next to my bed on the, eagerly, just kind of on the edge of the chair waiting for me to wake up so we can spend time together. Hey, it's not because I'm a pastor or even because I'm a good Christian, because I'm not. Ask my wife. <laughs> it's because his love for me is incomprehensible. And his desire is for me. And he wants fellowship and time and love and devotion. And I have that to give. We have to be aware of his presence, his nearness. But secondly, we have to learn how to cultivate God's nearness too. There are things we can do that attract the presence of God in our lives. And, and I, I believe that one of the obstacles that we, that we run into when we're talking, thinking about how do I connect with God, how do I experience his nearness in a more real way, is the fact that many of us have ascribed some emotion to God's presence. And what I mean by that is, in our minds, sometimes even subconsciously, we think, when I feel this, then God is near. When I don't feel X, God is not near. And we've limited the presence of God to an emotion. But how many know God is bigger than your emotions? God is bigger than how you feel about that. I remember uh, a number of years ago, I was praying for a person who was describing this situation to me. They'd experienced a lot of pain in their life, a lot of hurt, betrayal, abuse. There was some horrible things that they'd experienced and by no means am I belittling or making light of what they'd experienced. But 
what happened was they came to a point in their lives where they were desperate for God, for a breakthrough, desperate to sense God's nearness. And, and, they, and they went to this place where they normally would meet with God and, and, or just go to clear their heads or go to kind of get away or whatever. And they would sit there on, in their vehicle on that hill and they began to cry out, God, I need you, I need you. And they, they're describing this, this situation very viscerally. It was very real and emotional and they're crying. And, and, and they said to me, even they said, and my heart just broke as they said, and he didn't come. And he didn't come. And I said, why, why do you think that God was not there. And they said, well, I didn't feel him. I didn't, you know, didn't get goosebumps. I didn't have a certain physiological reaction to his presence. And they assumed that he wasn't there because they didn't feel him in the realm of their emotion. And I think so often we do that to ourselves. We limit our, our experience of God's presence because of an emotion that we've ascribed to that presence. Another thing I think limits us sometimes is past experiences or maybe a, maybe a meeting or a conference that we went to where, where God showed up in a certain way or, or maybe we're on a missions trip or we had, a, we had a, a, a song that played or something like that and there was some physical thing that happened that in our, in, our, in our understanding and the natural that caused us to connect that incident with God's presence, with God's presence. And I just wanna encourage you that those are not the standard for God's presence. In fact, look at what, what happened. Peter did exactly what we're talking about in this passage. He says in verse five, Peter said, Jesus, this is good that we're here. Let's make three tabernacles. What was he doing? He was trying to capture that moment so that he could go back. The moment that he was experiencing, which was now in the past, he was trying to capture it, get his arms around it so that he could tuck it away and safely come back to that anytime he needed to experience God's presence. But God's presence is so much bigger than that. And that booth, that tabernacle, that religious activity, that religious event that Peter was trying to fabricate to get his arms around God's presence was actually limiting his ability to experience God in a real and dynamic way. Remember, it's a conversation. It's happening real time. It's going on moment by moment every day. That's why Jesus said, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, that comes from the mouth of God. It's living in real time and dynamic, the conversation that we've been invited to with heaven. Our emotions are not the litmus test of God's presence. Our experiences, our feelings, sometimes we sense the Holy Spirit that way, but that they are in no way the best or primary indicator. In fact, I love this thought that God is always there because it's who he is. He's Jehovah Shammah, not, he's, whether you feel it or not, God is there just because he said he would be, amen? God's nearness begins when we begin to make room for him. God's, God's presence, God's nearness is cultivated as we recognize our need for it and begin to make room for it in every area of our lives. And the good news is it's not complicated to make room for God. Very simply, James and, and, and Jeremiah both described this idea. James in chapter four, it says this, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And in Jeremiah, very similarly in the Old Testament, you seek me and you'll find me if you search for me with all your heart. In other words, if you take the step, this is what God's saying, if you will take the step to make room for me in your life, you will find that I'm already there. Isn't that amazing? We will find him where he's always been, waiting for us to arrive. 
I remember years ago, I was uh, in, a, in a, it was a while back, I was in a, in a service and we were singing the song, I Want More of You. I can't remember the name of the song, but it's, there's a line that says, I want more of you, God. And I was singing it and from the bottom of my heart and I remember so distinctly as though he were in the room, the Holy Spirit spoke to me clearly and he says, he says son, you have all of me in your life that you want because he is more eager to fill us and to draw near to us than we are to draw near to him. And, and he said, you have all, the, all of me in your life that you make room for. However much room you give me, I'm gonna fill up. And that really is how we, and of course there's a few practical ways and I'm just gonna mention a couple that to cultivate God's nearness. One of course is that we have to tune our hearing to receive and understand and recognize the voice of God. We have to tune our ears to his voice. I remember when I was a kid, my dad, my dad had, had a distinct voice and a whistle. And if I heard that voice or that whistle, immediately I knew it was my dad. I could pick him out in a crowd. And, 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 I, and I remember in the military, I had a drill sergeant that his voice could cut through a, a, a crowded parade field and I knew that was my drill sergeant. And Jesus said this about his children and our ability to hear him. He said, my sheep know my voice and they will not listen to the voice of another shepherd. In other words, I wanna encourage you. So many of you say, I have a hard time hearing God and recognizing his voice, but you have the ability to do it. Jesus promised, my sheep know my voice. I, uh, the, the, another thing that we have to be able to do just in terms of hearing God's voice is we have to learn to limit ungodly voices. We're surrounded and bombarded by ungodly messages and signals from the world around us. And I just wanna encourage you, you're gonna have to learn how to tune out some stuff turn off some things and humble ourselves and get to a place in our lives where we're open and, desire, and, and desperate for God's voice. And, and I think I, I, the, this upcoming 21 days of prayer is by no, uh, it's no accident that it's happening right after this message. Next Monday, March 1st, we're beginning a 21 day period of prayer and fasting. And I wanna encourage you, fasting is the best way to clear the airwaves and fine tune your spirit to hear God's voice. And I wanna encourage you, if you've never fasted before, we've got resources for you at the, at the website, uh, churchoftheking.com forward slash 21 days. If you'll go there, we've got resources about fasting, resources about prayer. We've been creating a new prayer guide uh, this year for this thing. But listen, if you're going to cultivate the nearness of God, this is a great way to reset, to remove the distractions from your life, to fine tune your ability to, to converse with heaven, to hear God, and to enter into that conversation at another level uh, with heaven. That's what this life is all about. You cannot overcome the lack of God's presence by compensating with religious activity, by building tabernacles, by trying to capture moments and go back to them. God wants you to move forward in your walk with him. We have to acknowledge, cultivate his nearness, but finally we have to learn how to express it. This is the most exciting part to me because this is where the rubber really meets the road is in our, in our faith and the expression of who God is in us. To Peter, now, now I wanna just go back to our story for a minute. To Peter, building a tabernacle on that mountain meant that he would have to come back to the mountain to experience God in that way again, to experience God's nearness. But God was saying to Peter when he said, this is my son, he's going with you. You don't have to come back to this moment. He's, there's going to be more moments. He's gonna keep with, he's gonna stay with you. And listen, but here's the, here's the deal when it comes to expressing the nearness of God, the same principle of expressing God's nearness, of making room for God in our lives applies to expressing it as it does to cultivating it. 
Are we making room for God in our relationships? Are we, are we allowing the spirit of God, the nearness of God, the person of God to come through our lives in our conversations with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our classmates, with our friends, with the, on the ball field and in the boardroom? Is God coming through when we drive? Uh, that's for me, sorry. You guys probably don't deal with that. But, but listen, this is so interesting. Do I trust God to be near for his presence to come through my life when I'm interacting with coworkers and friends, neighbors, classmates, and family? Do I trust the person of God? And, and the reason that's such an important question is because we're designed by God to be light. It's no accident that this transfiguration happened on a snow-capped mountain where the glory of heaven was blinding to the disciples. Because the only of the seven I am statements of Jesus that Pastor Steve's gonna unpack over these next few weeks, the only one that Jesus says about himself that he also says about us is that he is the light of the world and so are we. In John chapter eight, Jesus says, I, say, I spoke to them again saying, I'm, I am the light of the world. And then again in Matthew chapter five, he says, you are the light of the world. What does that mean? It, it, what it really means is that what people need in us as we express his nearness is not our opinion about Jesus. It's not our version, weird version of Jesus. It's God himself showing up in our lives. And our job is to, to remove the impurities, to polish the glass of our lives so that the reflection of Christ in us is not marred because the people around you need it. I'm so grateful for the people who showed up in my life reflecting God, not trying to talk me into anything, just reflecting God's love. That's how I came to know Christ. My father-in-law was here a couple weeks ago uh, with, our, with our family and we sat at lunch and he started telling my story. And you guys have heard my story uh, many times, but my father-in-law was the one who's the love of God drew me into relationship with him with God through his life. He was the one who led me to Christ. And he's telling the story about how I came to know the Lord to my kids. And uh, you know, it was funny listening to somebody else tell the story because I knew how bad I was, but I didn't know he knew how bad I was. You track it with me? And I'm like, hey, hey, man of God, time out, bro. PG, keep it PG. My kids respect me still a little bit, you know? <clears throat> but I was so grateful that he, that he would express God's nearness to a kid who was lost. And let me tell you, what happens is we get spiritual amnesia sometimes, don't we? You know, we kind of forget how, how desperate we were. And I think it's such a good thing for us as, as God, and I'll tell you, the older I get, the, far, the longer I walked with the Lord for over 30 years now, and, and the more, I'm more desperate for God's nearness, for his power, for his love, for his forgiveness, for his grace and mercy in my life today than I was 30 years ago when I came to know him. Anybody else? And other people need that. The people around you need that. They need Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory, to be reflected as you acknowledge and cultivate and express his presence in a very real and supernatural way. I, David's reference to this in the Psalms is, is such a clear picture. He says this, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. What is he saying? In other words, if it weren't for God's nearness in my life, there would be no good. Have you gotten to that point yet? 
where you realize that the only thing good coming out of you is what Jesus is bringing. Come on. I'm sorry. Hey, I love you. I'm David. I'm your friend. You tracking with me? But the, David said, the nearness of God is my only good. And I've made the Lord my refuge that I might tell of all your works. I'm so convinced of it. I can't keep my mouth shut. God wants to pour himself out through your life for the, for the hope of the world around you. Listen, there are people in this room that, that are, there are people in your life that nobody else is a Christian in their world. There's no one else in their world that, that knows God, that has the light and life of God in them. You're it. And as you learn to express his nearness, they have a chance. Isn't that humbling? I wanna take a minute as we close today, and we're gonna close a little bit differently than we normally do, but I wanna take a minute. The worship team's coming at all the campuses. All right, the worship teams are coming, and they're gonna join us on the stage right now, and, and we're gonna sing together. Just a, There's a great song called Here Now, and it's really acknowledging uh, the presence of God in our lives, and, and I wanna just invite you. You don't have to stand. You can if you want. Um, if you, if you wanna stand, in fact, if you wanna stand, go ahead and stand. And uh, if you wanna sit, that's fine too. But we're just gonna take a minute before we go today to express our gratitude and to acknowledge God's nearness in our lives. The, ministry, the prayer teams are coming at all the campuses. They're gonna be here in the front. And then the worship team is gonna release you uh, when it's over. But let's just take a few minutes right now and do what we said. We're, let's just acknowledge God. Make room for him. Ask him, Holy Spirit, where do I need to open the door? Where do I need to make more room for you in my life? And then where can I commit new to expressing God's nearness, his presence in my life? So worship team, go ahead and lead us. We're gonna, we're gonna sing together at all the campus.